welcome Dr. Jennifer Roback Morse. You were here this week uh, taping with Johnette, and I just wanted to ask you on our podcast here. Uh, you mentioned to me about these five myths of uh, the the gay myths that we're told in our culture, and uh, the first one is sexual orientation is easily measured science is an easily measured scientific concept. Uh, you have that on your website. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Well, so first off, Father Mark, thanks for having me, you know, on your show, and uh, thanks to introducing me to your listeners and stuff. So I'm happy to happy to talk to y'all. Um, yeah, we we created a report called Refuting the Top Five Gay Myths, mm -hmm. and I start that out by saying, look, the big overall big picture myth that they're aiming at is they want to be able to say that sexual orientation is an inborn, immutable trait. Because that's the language that the Supreme Court and the law uses to talk about discrimination and what is uh, unlawful to discriminate against. So, and, and as you know, our anti-discrimination law in the United States was written principally and originally to help African Americans who descended from slaves and were trying to right the wrong and you know deal with all the problems that had been created with that. And so one of the the, the language that the court came up with is that race is an inborn immutable trait. And if you're uh, treating people differently on the basis of an inborn immutable trait, that's unlawful. If they, are, if they behave differently from each other, if people behave differently, you can treat behavior differently. If people's work performance or job qualifications are different, you can treat people differently on those bases. But if it's simply an inborn immutable trait, you're not allowed to discriminate on that. Right. And so the strategy of the gay lobby has been to convince everybody that sexual orientation is like race, that mm -hmm. it's an inborn immutable trait. And, and you may have heard the phrase, gay is the new black. Mm -hmm. And you know what the science shows and what common sense shows, if you really start to analyze it, um, is that gay is nothing like black. Mm -hmm. you know? right. um, and, and so mm -hmm. the, the thing that we call the first myth of that sexual orientation is an easily observable, measurable scientific concept, that's, the, that's kind of the opening right. question. What, right. what are we even talking about here? You right. know? And right. when you really start thinking about it, sexual orientation is, a, is a, a constellation of feelings and thoughts and behaviors and self-identification right. and what meaning to assign <clears throat> the feelings. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things that go into it. And you find this out when people start asking questions that are scientific in nature, they're trying to measure something. Um, years ago, Alfred Kinsey, in his first report um, on human sexuality in the human male, um, he claimed that 10% of the population was gay, uh, of the male population in the United States. This is in the 40s, he mm -hmm. you know, made this claim. And a bunch of statisticians said, that really doesn't sound right, mm -hmm. and you know, started asking questions. Well, they had a whole battery of questions. You know. Are you sexually attracted? Who are you primarily sexually attracted to? Who have you ever done it with? Who have you ever done it with in the last five years? Have you ever done it exclusively with the opposite sex, same sex yeah. person since, since puberty? Right. You know, all of these different aspects of it. And of course, they came up with a figure nowhere near 10%. You know, Kinsey was making stuff up, which mm -hmm. I think everybody knew that <laughs> at some point. But mm -hmm. this is in the 1990s that these um, sociologists at the University of Chicago started asking these questions. And, you know, not only was Kinsey's 10% number too big, but these different measures that you have of self-identification, behavior, feelings, they don't all line up. Mm -hmm. So not every you know person might say, I'm gay, but 
they don't answer yes to all the other questions. Right. You know? So, so and now that's a big area of study. That, that's still an open area of study, Father Mark. I mean, there are guys who talk about incongruence of the gay identity, or they'll talk about people um, being mostly heterosexual or mostly homosexual, right? right because right. there's it, there's fuzzy edges around this concept, right, you know. Right. So, so it nothing like race. Gay is nothing right. like race. <laughs> well, I, I remember back in the 80s, I, I forgot if it was the CDF or the USCCB had a document. <clears throat> it's probably the, the CDF, but it, 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 yeah, it made it clear this is not equated to race. And you've, you've heard like some African-Americans speak out against it. So oh, they've hated it. Yeah. They hate, um, it makes them mad. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've I known many people. I, I right, shouldn't say right, like a, everybody right. agrees yeah. though with that, but a lot of, a lot of black people in America are yeah. deeply resented. Yeah. Yeah. And I, to me, it was just like, well, one, we're talking about behavior, you know? <laughs> That's a point. Yeah. It's like, uh, That's a point. This isn't like physical appearance, you know, this is behavior. And then like, I think that's a great point too with the fuzzy edges to it. And because sometimes I've heard like, like the Catholic pro-gay lifestyle speakers, it almost like they want to get away from the same sex attraction part of it. It's like, they don't want to say that's at the heart of it. You know, it's like some kind of bigger thing. I don't know if it's like some, see it as some kind of license or overturning of values of of normative values of sexuality you know or something it's like this big broad badge that covers mm -hmm. a lot of stuff that i said we are talking about people attracted to people of the same sex right that's what homosexuality is well and you know i i've become aware recently that there's a lot of dispute within the the broad coalition of people who are same-sex attracted who and yeah. who are also Christian right. and they have different ways of talking about themselves and yeah. some are all you know a hundred percent on board with the Catholic Catechism that this is not your identity right and I think the dividing I think that's the crucial issue honestly father Mark that mm. there are some people who say I'm a Christian and I'm gay and the others want to say Yes, you experience same-sex attraction, but gay is not your identity. Right. Yeah, that's the point of dispute, I think, yeah. um, largely. And the Catholic Church is very clear that that's not your identity. Um, that's you know, a personality trait, mm -hmm. you know, uh, maybe a deep-seated personality trait, but right. it's not your ultimate identity. Right. Yeah. You know? And that yeah, that's the other thing. If you want to make it more than just some kind of attraction, it's like you might have stereotypical, like gay attributes of personality, like sensitivity, artistic ability, whatever. But then you meet people that aren't that way at all. Exactly. Right? So I, I remember Father John Harvey, founder of Courage, when I was in seminary, he came and spoke. And I remember that was the one point I remember he made. He said, he said, we speak of same-sex attracted persons. We don't say this is an identity. Right. You have a per, you're, you're a human person that has this attraction, right? right. And, and it's like, but, you know, I guess the compassion part is some people's experience of it, they feel like they were born this way or they feel like it is an identity. But I feel like that's where the gospel comes in. It says your identity is a child of God mm -hmm. and you don't have to act on this. You have freedom that by God's grace, you know, you don't have to give in to this. And... Um, you know, to be given in a compassionate way. Mm -hmm. And that's where the next myth comes in, you mm -hmm. know, that we, we've been told people are born gay. Right, you know? right. And 
there's literally no scientific evidence for that claim whatsoever. Mm -hmm. I mean, literally zero. Right. The human genome has been thoroughly studied. Mm -hmm. There's no gay gene. There's no gay complex of genes. You right. can't look at somebody's genetic code and say that guy's going to be gay. Right. You know, you, it, right. it, that's not how it is. And when you think of it as a as a constellation of behaviors, thoughts, feelings, identification, all of that, mm. it'd be astonishing if it was genetic, mm. right? right? Because that's just not how people work. Right. You know, So you might have a right. genetic predisposition to some of those traits, maybe right. you do. Right. Um, like a person might have a genetic predisposition to schizophrenia that mm. may or may not ever manifest, yeah. right? And right. alcoholism, and, you know, there are a lot right. of different, right. that, that, and what they have in common is that they're complex behavioral patterns mm -hmm. um, that also have an environmental component. So people, if people are under stress, certain things are going to be more likely to manifest and stuff right. like that. So, um, so yeah, between, between the genetic studies and the studies of identical twins, there's really nothing left of the claim that people are born gay, mm. you know? And then that leads to the next point, can you change, you know? Mm. And the, the, the big myth is nobody can change. Mm. Um, and you, you're born that way, that's who you are, that's your real identity, your best hope in life is to embrace that and be your true self, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. And um, I was talking with Johnette about this, um, we at the Ruth Institute, we're now doing a whole, we've got a whole series of interviews that I've done with with people who have had, made this journey um, away from an LGBT identity, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and I've also interviewed therapists and, you know, other kind of social scientists and stuff like that. And these people are blowing me away with mm -hmm. what they're telling me, mm -hmm. you know. Um, I mean, this one guy told me, uh, this is a guy who thought of himself as gay, was same-sex attracted, you know, had all these feelings, and he can tell you the exact minute he started feeling it. He mm. was eight years old, and he was with a bunch of other boys, and they saw gay pornography. Mm -hmm. And it imprinted on him, upset him terribly, yeah. never talked to anybody about it, never told anybody about it. And when he was in his 20s, he started going to therapy. And he said, for two years, all that counselor did was let me talk. Mm. He just let me talk mm. because he right. was doing all this stuff in his mind right. by himself. Right. You know? right. um, and, and that's an area where the, the church probably could be doing a better job is mm. making it easier for people to share that type of experience. You know, so because yeah. you know, he was freaked out, didn't want to tell his parents, you know, all this right. kind of stuff. Right. right? Um, but I know I wonder that sometimes I've thought about I mean, they have like churches have like small groups. I know there's a big one in Texas. We interviewed a. A layman there is running the small groups program because the mega churches, right? They live and breathe on small groups, mm -hmm. and they talk about generating this great vitality. But yeah, it seems like yeah, the Catholic Church could do that better. You know, to you know, we could use that word, accompany people and and let them talk and not feel like you know, you join the human race. We all have our brokenness. We all right. have our struggles. Right. And and I I know the compassion piece is. The same-sex attraction, you know, a person might be feeling, I'm going to have to live alone. You know, I can't get married. I can't. Right. And so, you know, we have to have great compassion and charity towards that. But, yeah, I think the sharing component, we could do better. And, I mean, it's just, it's a hard thing to keep things, you know, in the, in the confession, you have this absolute seal of confession. That's such a blessing, you know, to have people to you know, repent of sins and confess things, to be honest. 
Um, but yeah, if there's something we could do better in the church to, to help people be able to talk about these mm -hmm. things. Right. Know. Now, there's the whole realm outside confession, Yeah, you yeah, know, where people yeah. can be talking right, and, and, right. and sharing and, and stuff yeah. like that. Mm -hmm. You know, another um, an, another ther this is something a therapist told me. She was she was doing a study. Uh, she is both a clinician and a researcher mm -hmm. kind of person. And she's doing a study of guys, about 75 guys who've been to a clinic mm -hmm. that was there to help people deal with unwanted same-sex attraction and the mm -hmm. problems that arise from it. Okay. Right. And this particular clinic, <clears throat> they, they, don't, they don't say, we're going to get rid of your same-sex attraction. They say, we're going to help you process your early childhood traumas mm -hmm. and issues, whatever they may be. But a lot of the guys come with this complaint, this mm -hmm. presenting complaint. And um, the purpose of her study was to find out, is this therapy helping? You know, what's going on? You know, mm -hmm. let's track it a little bit. So there's a self-selected bunch of men, you know, yeah. 75 men who are motivated, who want change in, in their lives. Right. Many of them religious. They want their life to match up with their religious mm -hmm. values. Mm -hmm. They aspire to getting married. They right. want to get married. Right. They want to have a normal family right. life, you know. Right. Um, and so they're trying to get their thoughts and feelings aligned Right. with those values, right. right? So they surveyed them, and of course they were asking, you know, over the six or nine months or however long they were in therapy, did you have any lessening of your same-sex mm -hmm. attraction, and so on and so forth, and some of them did. Right. Not all of them right. did, you know, but right. some of them did. Yeah. The striking thing to her was that almost all of them felt better, hmm. right? So even if they didn't experience a lessening of same-sex attraction, mm -hmm. that therapeutic process right. was not hurting them. Right. The therapeutic right. process was helping them. Right. And in fact, she described to me this um, instrument that I guess is a thing in psychology. I don't know. I have to take her word for it. But they have a like a something that that a person might take every time they go to the therapist, just kind of check in, like a half dozen questions. Sounds like to me, but like mm. a half dozen questions or something, um, to just to make sure people aren't going off the rails, getting suicidal, or right, you know, something right. like that. And she said analyzing people's answers to these questionnaires is that they started feeling better very quickly. Within mm. a few sessions, they were feeling mm. better. And her thought about that was that the reason they're feeling better is that this therapeutic process gave them hope. Mm. Instead of feeling like, okay, you have these feelings, you're stuck with them for right. the rest of your life, right. and that's going to be the center right. of your life for the rest of right. your life. No, that need not be the case. Yeah. Yeah. They felt... By golly, they felt better knowing they had some options, you know. So yeah. that you know, that's the kind of stuff that we try to at the Ruth Institute. We try to find this type of stuff and you know give people a, a bigger picture of some of these issues. Because if you just listen to the mainstream media, you would think anybody who goes for therapy is certainly doing themselves harm. They're homophobic. Yeah. They hate their true selves. Yeah. You know, kind of thing. And that that's not the case. And there's been these. Uh, successful, I was going to say attempts, but you know, to outlaw some of these therapies or yes. repair. But a number have been overturned, right? I, I remember reading this a couple of years ago, but some of the people that practice reparative therapy, I remember hearing the Nicolosi group talk about how they were able to overturn these. Mm -hmm. Do you know where the state is now? Um, different things are going differently in different states, mm. as you may imagine. Yeah. So in Florida, there were a couple of municipal bans on counseling therapy, mm. and those were overturned. 
Um, matter of fact, I interviewed what the therapist who was the plaintiff, you know, oh, and he wow. told me all about wow. it and everything. Um, and one of the things that came out of the evidence presented in those cases was just how bad the evidence is. Yeah. Right. In other words, the people who are claiming that this is harmful to you, their evidence is garbage. I mean, mm. literally, it's yeah. junk science. And yeah. my colleague, Father Paul Sullins, is a sociologist. I don't know if you've heard of mm -hmm. Father Sullins and his work. We're very proud of him at the Ruth Institute. <laughs> um, he's done a series of studies on this question of of rather than interviewing people the way a therapist might, he's yeah. looking at the statistics of people reporting, yes, I went for this kind of therapy, here's what happened to me, right, you know, right, that kind right. of thing. Um, and so he's, pr he's proven pretty clearly that the, the so-called link between being suicidal and having gone to therapy is, a com is completely bogus, right, completely right. bogus. Um, and I, you were saying this study, people came out with more hope. Right. Yeah, your friend, yeah. This yeah, and this yeah. little study. Okay, yeah, so that's yeah. seventy-five people, and right. we don't. Nobody claims that's representative. Right, and right. this is one of the things that really irritates the heck mm -hmm. out of me. Junk science bugs me. Okay, yeah, right. there are two big ways that they do junk science in this area, and people should listen up because you should pay. You should have your antenna up whenever you hear a study like this, y'all. Okay, there are two things to watch out for. Number one, who did they put in the sample? Who mm. are they sampling? Okay, mm. so almost all of these studies basically interview a sample of people who currently identify themselves as LGBT people. Mm -hmm. And they ask them about their experience with therapy counseling. Yeah, okay, yeah. well, now what's the problem with that? If they were really helped by the therapy and they no longer identify as LGBT, mm -hmm. they're not gonna be in the survey. Mm. It would be like saying, uh, marriage counseling causes divorce based right. only on a sample of divorced people. Right, right. You know, you don't even right. include the people who are out. Right. And then the other big problem with a lot of these studies mm -hmm. is they, they look at um, your going to therapy over the course of your lifetime. Did you ever go at any time? Have you ever been suicidal mm -hmm. at any time over the course of the lifetime? Mm -hmm. They don't distinguish between your suicidality or your distress before the therapy or after the therapy. Mm. So if you want to claim that the therapy caused the distress, it should be distress that took place after the therapy, right, you right, know, duh, right? right? right and right. so Father Sullins, yeah. basically one of the landmark studies in this area, he just took it apart. Yeah. And you know, they, they've bitched and moaned and whined mm -hmm. at him a little bit, but basically he's right. Mm -hmm. You know, that the people who were in distress and suicidal chose to go to therapy mm. to get help, right? right? You know, right. the people who are most upset, who mm. have the biggest problems, they're gonna choose to go to therapy. And so if you just look at over the, what they do over the course of their lifetime, yeah, of course yeah. you're gonna see kids who, you know, had a terrible life. Right. They're gonna right. be more suicidal, but that doesn't prove the therapy caused it, you know? Right. So. <clears throat> and I remember hearing one of the Nicolosi group talk about like they don't even have to directly address the same-sex attraction. They're looking at like their connection to mom and dad and those kind of experiences that they're working on that, that we all, if you have same-sex attraction or not, we probably all have some wounding from family of origin where we didn't get affirmed or connected in some way right, that we right. could all look at that stuff. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. yeah, and that's how Dr. Yeah. Nicolosi, senior and junior, I think, yeah. um, describe what they do. They're looking mm -hmm. at family dynamics. Yeah. You know, they're looking some, they and, and others who work in this area, they're looking at childhood trauma and helping people right. process that. Um, and I, I, one thing I heard, this is something I heard from a courage priest, okay? He said to me that often it's not the 
courage guy or the, the same-sex attractive person who is so adamant. It's their parents. Mm. The parents of the gay man are absolutely mm. convinced that he was born gay. Oh. And what the priest said was, it's easier for them to think that than to mm -hmm. think that something they did may have, may have disrupted his psyche. Right. Right. So, um, well, that's something to think about, you know? Yeah. And I remember one time Father Benedict Rochelle was giving us a retreat. Early on in our community, he was, he was very helpful to us and would give us retreats and stuff. And he was talking to us about celibacy. And he said, you know, you get on a subway in New York City, a lot of people in there are having sex in their lives. Does that make them unbelievably happy or fulfilled or whatever? <laughs> <laughs> he was trying to encourage us along uh, celibacy. But I think, too, it's like a lot of people have an instability in their sex, especially men. It's like men have a more unstable, seated attraction template in some ways. You know, he get kind of weird in some ways. You know, that it a lot of healing needs to be take place in different areas. But some reason... You know, the same-sex attraction area is supposed to be like untouchable. It's like yeah, I no. see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, we've uh -huh. got there's a lot of perversions out there, you mm -hmm. know, and uh, and you know many people have a a cross to bear and work on this and and fighting. You know, the catechism describes as a battle for mm -hmm. chastity, mm -hmm. and but I I never thought about like the happiness and the hope component because. You know, just especially as a person of the church comes and, and says, this is your identity, which we have powerful voices out there doing that, it can steal their hope. That's you know? the point. Yeah. I think that's right. Mm -hmm. I think that's right. You know, you know it's like was... we're not given the full gospel, but everybody's got a right to the full gospel. Yeah. We can't put a certain group of people and say, no, this isn't for you. Right, right. You know? By what right would we do that? Yeah. 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 Do you know... I, you're the theologian. You straight me out if this is not correct. But it almost sounds like a kind of secular Calvinism, mm -hmm. like a double predestination. Yeah. You are this is this is your fate. Yeah. You yeah. know, and yeah. but it's Calvinism without grace. Right. right. I mean, right. the secular version has no grace in it, right. which is really spooky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. Definitely, yeah. Secular world has no grace, no mercy, no forgiveness. You know, and all this stuff too. I think sometimes of Mother Angelica. Who you know? People would say she was tough and all this, and but I just remember her dealing with people on the phones and stuff on her show, her live show, and she just had such a heart for people in whatever struggle. Right. I mean, she could be tough, lay down the law, say this is what the church teaches, mm -hmm. but when she comes across a person that has a personal struggle, it's like the mother in her just would come out, you know, and try right. to help people. And not just tell them, keep going. I, I think part of it is in our culture is like, hey, you don't tell me what to do with my sex life. I won't tell you what to do with yours. Mm -hmm. And they almost celebrate if somebody is kind of more out there. It's true. It yeah. gives me a license. Mm -hmm. right? yeah. You are. I yeah. think that's really true. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's a big part of the, what do I want to say, kind of the the dynamic, the engine that keeps the sexual revolution going. Right. You know, it's like, 
uh, I'll overlook your right. garbage if you overlook my garbage. Right. You know, and right. it, and it's almost like if you if you're conscious of sexual sin, mm -hmm. and somebody's saying to you, well, you know, I, here sign this petition against against gay marriage. We want man woman marriage. Will you sign our petition? Right. You know, if the person has sexual sin in their own life, they're like they they're not going to tell you why they're not going to sign mm -hmm. your petition. Right. <laughs> but they right. don't. But they you know they don't. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it's like um like a, a mutual pact to mm -hmm. uh, absolve each other. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Is that, yeah. is that yeah. fair to say, you know? Yeah, I, I saw that. Some of the Hollywood celebrities too, like sometimes like the older women celebrities seem to be these big advocates. And I'm like wondering, why Why are you so invested? <laughs> you know, some have been married a bunch of times. And right. That's the feeling you get. Yeah. I mean, they yeah. can be very kind and compassionate. You can see that, especially like the women but at the same time, you feel like it's almost like a license that you're correct. Yeah, I so. I, th I think there's a lot to that. I, mm -hmm. I th another aspect of it. This is a, a different aspect of the same thing. I think the guilty conscience problem is a huge problem. Yeah. Right. So we are hurting people, Father Mark. Right. But understand the nature of the hurt. Right. We're pricking their conscience. Right. Right. And that is really hurtful. They don't yeah. like it. Yeah. But it. But we're not wrong, right? You know, right. and so somehow dealing with the guilty conscience problem. I, it, one of the ways that I sometimes try to do it is to try to let people off the hook a little bit at the beginning. So I have this talk that I do. Mm -hmm. It's called boldly defending traditional Christian sexual ethics. Mm -hmm. Okay, and I start with an image of a hurricane, mm -hmm. of which we had a hurricane. We had two hurricanes in Lake Charles oh, in 2020. Yeah. I don't know if you remember yeah, that, but yeah. you know it was crazy. And basically, I started with. You know, if one house in the neighborhood is run down, you think, what's wrong with these people? Mm -hmm. But if everybody's wiped out, mm -hmm. you go, wait a minute, what happened here? Something mm -hmm. something big happened. Well, the sexual revolution is like a hurricane mm -hmm. and it's destroyed everybody. Mm -hmm. And so now you don't feel like, what's wrong with these people? You know, you, you right. might, you know, in the 60s or some 50s or something, you might have, ah, they got divorced, that's not great, you know, whatever. But now it's like everybody, yeah. everybody's in that boat, you know. Yeah. And so in that way, there, there is a way in which we do owe ourselves a little bit of compassion yeah. because, because we're under, I would say, unprecedented pressure to do right. the wrong thing. We have right. basically no social structures that guide kids down the right path, yeah. you know. Right. Um, and so it's not surprising that people are, you know, driving off the cliff. Right. You know, no guardrails on the cliff, no brakes in the car not a good situation you know and i think too like our our elderly generation can help so much i remember just growing up you know my parents my grandparents were born like 1915 16. they lived through the depression world war ii and stuff and it's like they always had like cultural norms like, you don't do this you can't do that or just like like what to do on dates or something or you know, have accountability and stuff. And, you know, as a kid, I always just thought, oh, you guys are completely overreacting. <laughs> you just don't get it or whatever. But I, I remember, I remember some things like people in the family or something messed up and they could come down on people, but also sometimes there was like a, an understanding. It's like because they had lived life and they had their own wounds, their own sins. I was surprised sometimes at the compassion they would feel for like, a family struggling with something mm -hmm. or the guy sometimes struggling with drinking or something mm -hmm. like that and i i think you know like our our culture is so 
in some sense, it tries to be youthful all the time, and it doesn't have that wisdom sometimes. Like the older generation, I think, could have that powerful role just to talk about mercy and yeah, say, I've had my mistakes in life and stuff, and but let's work on this, let's mm -hmm. move forward, you know, and, and have some compassion. It, it just seems like the culture in embracing this sexual license, as people suffer from it, it's just letting people. Yes. Yeah, they do nothing to help. They do nothing to help. Yeah, that's really true. And, yeah. and in a way, the counseling bans are a way of blocking the exits, mm -hmm. right? So, okay, you've told everybody they can do whatever they want. I mean, the basic message of the sexual revolution is you can do anything you want and nothing right. bad will happen, you right, know, right. which is intrinsically yeah. seductive. Yeah. Right? Everybody right. wants to believe that, right? right? Well, now something bad happens. Your, you know, your values and your feelings don't line up, and I feel cruddy, and I don't like mm. what I did, and I don't like the way I was treated, and I don't want to be part of this anymore. Yeah. Too bad. <laughs> Too bad. <laughs> you know, you're on the reservation, you know. And the same thing, same thing with the crisis pregnancy centers. Think about that. Yeah. Think about the audacity of attacking Ladies who give away free diapers. Yeah. I mean, you know, what the heck is going, you know? I mean, it's, it's, yeah, they're trying to help and, and we, and we get, they accuse us of not caring about anybody. Mm -hmm. And yet the people they're attacking are the ones who actually are knocking themselves out to help. Right. You know? Right. So, so yeah, the sexual revolution doesn't have any mercy in it. You know, you know, you, you go with the program and you accept the broken heart and, you know, yeah. if you regret your abortion, you shut up. Right. You shut up right. because you right. don't want to give those nasty pro-life people any right. ammunition. Right. So you sit down and shut up because right. that's the price you pay for your right yeah. to choose. Yeah. You know, these these a lot of these women are so angry. They're, yeah, you they're know, we, really wounded. And we hear some of those witnesses. Like I was out for the Walk for Life in San Francisco, and. Um, and I heard a couple of conversion stories of like the volunteers have been doing it for uh, 20 years now that they've had some jump ship from the pro-choice side because of the joy, the happiness. And they saw the ugliness of their side. Yeah. Like the argument like you just made, like, yeah. you know, you shut up. It's like, you know, how's that if you if you just take a step back and look at <laughs> You know, this angry person yelling this at a person maybe hurting or something. It's like, who wants to be part of that? Right, right. You know, you got the other side offering to help and having some attractiveness about the peace and joy the Christian message gives. Um, so, and I know I ask you this every year, but it's <laughs> like, I always wonder... Yeah, how how did we get here? And I I just heard these two theologians talking about this on a podcast, but they were talking about the this breakdown in the teaching of conscience. Like, how oh. how did we get to the sexual revolution? Oh. And and they cited like Karl Rahner as heading this up about you know really seeding conscience as this this decision we make, like kind of abstracting it from law. You know, like divorcing it from law uh -huh. as guiding us. It's uh -huh. like emphasizing the part that is, and yeah, right? The, the Catholic understanding of conscience is a personal judgment of a, about a concrete act in front of us, but we're, we have to form the conscience. Mm -hmm. And that's what they were getting away from. It's like just emphasizing you have to obey your conscience, live by your conscience. So if this is telling you this is fine, then it might be fine. But as divorced from 
law and tradition understanding of what the gospel teaches and uh, and it it seemed like that's definitely a necessary component if you're going to overturn everything in the 60s right you have to overemphasize that aspect of consciousness well it's a kind of if you think about it isn't it what, what what's the word it's a kind of antinomian position mm. we don't really need any law right because right. if you let everybody be the judge in their own yeah, case, of yeah, course you will have right. no law very quickly because right, right. everyone will let themselves off the hook. Right, right. Right? Yeah. And somehow, yeah, law is opposed to freedom and stuff. But yeah, the Catholic teaching is that if we live, you know, if we get married, stay married, have kids, you know, and live this natural law that, you know, it brings a happiness and a fulfillment. Right. Not to say it's not hard. Right. But... You know, those sacrifices is the heart of true love, right? To make these right, sacrifices. right. And having an accurate picture of that natural law and how it works and fits together, mm -hmm. that's what will help you get over those rough spots mm. where it would be, e gosh, it would be easier to just cheat. Right, <laughs> you know, right, and, and, right. Uh, My conscience tells me that this is perfectly okay. So yeah, there, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah, you got to get over that. <laughs> you got to have something to help you get over that, right? Yeah. You know, to, um, so you have to have thought it through ahead of time, right, you know, right. and, um, and be committed yeah. Or, and be in some way accountable, you know, and says you can't do it all yourself. Right. I, I'm, I'm, to be honest, I'm a little weirded out and worried about the Catholic position on conscience. I can't figure it out, you know. Mm. I can't figure out exactly, exactly what authority it has, you know, mm. or where that authority ranks in yeah. terms of other authorities yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Um, we're, we're in a very interesting time right now <laughs> in the life of the church, don't you think? I mean, yeah, we definitely. <clears throat> Yeah, we always have to obey the conscience, but we also have a, a solemn duty. We have to form the conscience. Mm -hmm. So we have to, uh, you know, accept the teachings of the church, be guided by the church and guided by the natural law and stuff. So that, you know, conscience is a participation in God's eternal law through reason that I can, I can know this natural law through reason, but most of us need help to get a full picture of it, right? Right, right. <laughs> and uh, right. you have to have some humility there. <laughs> <laughs> right. And it doesn't help when you got intellectuals running around saying the opposite, you know, and of course our culture is doing that constantly and doing it, dressing it up to look attractive. Mm -hmm. So what did these theologians have to say about the role of conscience? Was it d directly germane to what we're talking about here? Well, you know, I think they were just celebrating, well, if your conscience says you can use contraception, you know, in these few isolated cases, you know, like Lambeth Conference in the 20s for the Anglican Church, you know, it begins by saying, okay, in a few cases, particular situations, mm -hmm. a person's conscience might say they can do this. You know, Mary Everstat points this out in her book. You know, fast forward 30 years, they're promoting it. Right, right, right. <laughs> and, and it's like, you know, it seems like we just, we don't like, we're not seem like convinced, it seems to me, that that law, the connection between law, truth, and freedom. Mm -hmm. That freedom is, an, you know, we have this ought to do the good. We need to, it's a power to do the good right. in our life. Right. And we do that, we grow in freedom. Right. And Authentic I think, freedom, yeah. Yeah, it's like, and I, and I think with America, too, and I, I love America, and I, I, I grew up in Huntsville, Alabama, which is this high-tech center, and you had a lot of people that would come there and be smart, have an idea, like a big tech idea or tech technological idea for advancement of whatever technology. And 
it um, and they would sell it. They maybe start a company, sell their company, retire as a millionaire, or whatever. I saw a lot of success stories like mm-hmm. that. You know that you could come and do that in America. And America loves freedom, and just right from the world word go, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, people were coming over here to this new country, unlimited resources, and all these men were coming. They need to import wives just to marry. Yeah, they were, right. <laughs> they were, they, yeah. I, even, I even heard a feminist say this one time. She did a. She was a historian. She was talking about the American Revolution and stuff and the founding of the country. And, she's, and the, this is on NPR. And the guy asked her, said, what was, a, what was women's big, biggest contribution? And she said, to make the men settle down. Yeah. To get married. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's true. I'm sure that's true. Not to mention the 10 kids that they all had. You know. <laughs> but yeah, it's like this country is resource and just like, it's just like wide open from the beginning. You know, we, we champion freedom, but what we've discovered and what our history is that we divorce that freedom from truth and law. It just becomes license. It becomes chaos and uh, it becomes an inhumane right, culture. Right, right, right. And, uh, and it, it seems to me, you know, it, we're, we're also big on equality, mm-hmm. right? And equality has been distorted and corrupted, mm-hmm. you know, and turned into something that's impossible and, right, you know, right. kind of crazy. But but equality and freedom and individualism, all of those things that have kind of run amok yeah. in America, yeah. they all have proper Christian understandings, right, right. you know, and... It seems to me that that would be a helpful contribution yeah. for for Christian thinkers to to help people, you know, settle down, as mm-hmm. you say, you know, get you men to settle down. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're running crazy with these ideas. They're good ideas, but come on, <laughs> you know. But they, but there are proper limits to it, you know. Yeah. Um, and I remember you made a point to me one year too. That I thought it was great. You said because I was well, I think maybe I heard it on your podcast or something, but it was. Like I kept wondering, like when I was growing up, you know, Michael Jordan's marketing Air Jordans, he's literally worth $2 billion now. And and they wanted him to be part of like a civil rights movement or whatever. And, and he said, well, Republicans buy shoes too. You know, it's like, <laughs> if you want to make money, you stay out of social positions and politics, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Now it's like the opposite. I mean, big t- tech jumps into all these social issues. Oh, oh yeah. The, 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 there's something new afoot now. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And, and I'm not sure where exactly it's coming from. I did interview a guy um, who actually is a, a big uh, stock, not a stockholder, shareholder, I guess is the right word. He's a financial manager. Mm-hmm. And he was challenging Chase Morgan Bank mm-hmm. on the fact that they're discriminating against Christians in their banking, yeah, you know. Yeah. And so he did a shareholder resolution and the whole mm-hmm. thing. So I interviewed him to, to get his take on what was going on. And I'm, I'm not sure I was satisfied with his answer. Yeah. I don't completely know. I, I have a sense that there are some a handful of really, really big players yeah. um, that are leaning yeah. on everybody and withholding capital if you yeah. don't if yeah. you don't do the if you don't toe the line. I don't know how true that is though, Father Mark. I wouldn't want to. But but there's something yeah. they don't care about losing money. Bud Light does not care mm. about losing money. Disney doesn't seem to care about mm. all the money they're losing. Yeah. You know, they yeah. don't seem to care. Right. So they've got other priorities now for whatever yeah. reason. So. Well, I remember it came up like a year ago. I forgot what that factor is, but there was some formula 
that would guide like capital investors, and one was like this social awareness. Oh yeah, what oh yeah. What was that called? Was oh, uh, there there are a couple of different ones. Um, I'm thinking DEI, diversity. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, diversity, yeah. inclusion, Equity, whatever. Inclusion. Yeah, and then there's S SDG. You know. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I don't know what all the acronyms stand for, but definitely that's being monitored. There's no there's no yeah. doubt about that. So if you have like a quote unquote capitalist country. They have like all these investors, pools of money they could throw wherever. If you don't qualify because you don't line up with these mm -hmm. social, their social values, you don't get as much investment mm -hmm. money. So. And and I, and one of the things that may be at work in the background of that, Father Mark, mm -hmm. is that if you look at um, part particularly women but also men, the price of success is delayed childbearing. You mm -hmm. know, so. If you're going to get go through college, you're going to get an advanced degree. You're going to become partner in the law firm. Yeah, yeah. You got to put off having kids, yeah. you know, and you got to put yourself totally into the career. When you're 35 or 40, maybe you have one or two kids. Mm -hmm. That person is is committed to the sexual revolution in right. a way, in a different way, and right. you're systematically selecting from the people who care more about their careers right. than about family, and right. that's who's rising to the top. Right. So, and I remember one time you made the point too that like big tech, you think of like Amazon, want us to buy products, right? And if they destabilize society, if you have smaller families, if you have a smaller safety net, or you more easily manipulate, you can manipulate people into buying stuff. Mm -hmm. um, somebody was just saying that like, you know, in the past, I sound like I'm against capitalism. I'm not, but it's like, you know, you might, <clears throat> you might be <clears throat> like going after natural resources. It might be doing it in a, in a way that's uh, ruthless or something, damaging the environment or whatever. Now the target is on humanity itself, mm -hmm. like to manipulate humanity to buy more goods, mm -hmm. right? And it seemed like if you don't have a, one thing, I guess if you're just by yourself, maybe in some sense you can buy more goods, Another sense, I think, though, that you're more easily to manipulate. You don't have people around you to kind of protect you from manipulation to say, hey, maybe this isn't a good idea. You know, maybe you don't need to buy another big truck with huge tires or whatever it is. <laughs> you know, just to live a more moderate life, mm -hmm. you know, and because mm -hmm. somebody's making money off of it, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, <laughs> but, 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 but don't forget, one of the big pushes behind all of this mm -hmm. is the population control people. You know, the people who think there are too many people right. um, have invested enormous amounts of money mm -hmm. in convincing everybody that there are too many right, people. Right. Now, if you thought about, and, and they think that they're saving, I don't know what they think they're doing, you know, yeah. uh, honestly, yeah. because their position is incoherent, right. actually. Right. Um, uh, I think what they mean is that there are too many people for our needs. We only need a few of you peons to keep us going, so mm -hmm. we don't care. Right. I mean, I, and... I don't think they're as smart as they think they are. I mean, I, I don't. Yeah, I, none yeah. of them have really thought through right, depopulation, right, population right. decline. Yeah, you know, yeah. which is now a thing that's mm -hmm. going to be a real thing. Right. And uh, you know, these geniuses haven't thought that through all the way. I don't think. <laughs> you know, uh, and people are yeah. starting to think it through. You know, but yeah. the but the guys who are really pumping all the money into it, they're they're true believers. You know. Right. Um, so. I know you speak a lot on marriage, the importance of marriage, and. It's the fundamental cell of society. So the family goes, so the world goes. And and I even wrote, wrote a book. I was I was struck by that about like um, 
like how to find a mate or things to look for. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, yeah. My colleague and I, we, we have a book, 101 Tips for a Happier Marriage. Okay. And then we have 101 Tips for Finding the Right Person, for Marrying the Right Person. Yeah. Can you throw out some of those tips? As a priest, I get asked that all the time. Oh, do you really? Do you, <laughs> right, well, do like you have a copy up. of our book? We have to send you the book, Father. Okay. Um, yeah. <clears throat> um, there are different sections in that uh -huh. book. I mean, in, some of it is, you know, kind of common sense stuff mm -hmm. of looking for somebody that you have things in common with. Right. But some of it is really a way for, for us to present our information about some of the hazards in married life, one of which is, are you both from intact families? You know, if one of one of you's got divorce in your background, that's something to deal with. It right. doesn't mean the person's the wrong person right, for you, right, but right. it's something to to think about. Yeah. Um, we also have two chapters in there on cohabitation. Mm -hmm. You know, one of them is called "If you are you cohabiting, don't. Yeah. <laughs> if you aren't, don't. <laughs> if you are cohabiting, here's what you should think about. You yeah. know, and they would right. sort of go through the research that yeah. it doesn't make for a happier yeah. marriage. And you know, are you are you Share, you're not really sharing your bank accounts yeah. yet, are you? Right. And you know, how right. are you going to negotiate these issues of trust that you've built up? You don't realize you've built up mm. trust issues over the course of you yeah. cohabiting for three years or something before you get married. And sometimes it could push you into a bad marriage, right? If you share finances, buy a house together, all this stuff, and it's like kind of a natural conclusion that this is to get married, but maybe you shouldn't. But right? but your judgment is shot. Right. You know, right. you you're you're not you never really decided. Yeah. You know, you right. kind of glided into it. Yeah. And yeah. you've got all the, the chemical attachments mm -hmm. going on, all the hormonal bonding yeah. going on. Yeah. You've never really had a chance to step back from it and say, oh, okay, I, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to live apart from him. We're going to yeah. live separately for at right. least a month. Right. Do we still care about each other? Right. <laughs> you know, do I still like this guy? You yeah. know, yeah. Um, and I, I have heard some priests insisting that cohabiting couples live separately, right. from, you know. Right. Um, and, and there's a lot of wisdom to that yeah. because you yeah. you know you've, you've, you've clouded your judgment quite a bit yeah. but that, that those are, and, and then we have a chapter on pornography yeah. you know um, if you've got a pornography issue are you going to deal with it now or are you going to wait till your 10 year old walks in on you right how about how about deal with it now guys yeah. you know yeah um, so yeah those are some of the things that we yeah. that we talk about in there. <clears throat> And do you talk about to like maybe things to look for in terms of virtues or um, I just interviewed this fascinating couple on Life on the Rock. They're like 35. They've been married 10 years. They got five kids, I think. And, um, and they were both from divorced homes. Oh, wow. Yeah. And they they worked on stuff, though. And, yeah. Uh, and I asked him, I said, was there a particular book? And they said, not so much a book. He said, you know, our generation, we do YouTube videos. <laughs> <laughs> but they talked about how that helped them, uh, like, in their communication. And, um, like, she was in, she was like an internal processor. So she, they'd get into an argument. He's kind of more outgoing, extrovert. He processes externally. Oh. <laughs> like, so, like, he'll talk about a problem. And uh, she's kind of being taken offense at things he's saying, but he's just trying to work through things. She likes to step back, come back later and yeah. say, this is what I, That's I think That's interesting. About. But it was like, a, it was a big piece for them just hmm. to be able to navigate conflict and stuff. And, mm -hmm. and I, it just, I just feel like, man, if we could save so much human pain and suffering, <laughs> yeah, if couples could get this kind of stuff earlier and, yeah, uh, and yeah. work through things. Yeah. But, but yeah, I, th I think you know, marriage is—that's our hope. 
you know, the, the healthier marriage can be like the cell that it's just somebody can bring humanity together, you know, right. as a country and everything. Right, so, right. Is, um, you know, just some maybe last thoughts about uh, the, uh, like, overcoming the sexual revolution. What is, what are some of the things you say are the way out of this? Morass. Well, I mean, there's a, there's stuff at the personal level mm -hmm. that people need to process and deal with themselves, mm -hmm. and then there's all kind of, you know, sort of political and social stuff. Yeah. Um, and I, it, you can't, everybody has to do a little bit of both, right? right? right. Because it, it, it is in your lap, it is in your family, it is in your face, yeah, you know? Right. And so you have to have strategies for dealing with it at that level, right, right, right. Um, and for your Catholic audience, you got to stay close to the sacraments, right, because there really is the demonic at work here. I mean, I just don't yeah. think there's any doubt about that. Um, so that's that's a big part of it. Um, uh, inside your married life, inside your family life, there are a few magic words like "thank you," <laughs> "I'm sorry," mm -hmm. "I'm sorry I hurt you," yeah. "I was wrong." Right. I really appreciate you, you know, right. stuff right. like that. Right. Anybody can do that. You don't have to be a genius to do that. Right. Um, um, and so I <laughs> do the basic stuff first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then as far as turning the culture around, you know, it's, it's just really important that you have a realistic picture of what's going on. You yeah. know, I realize it feels like it's overwhelming and exhausting and you you want to hide under the rock mm -hmm. you right. know uh, life under the rock that's your new, that's your new show <laughs> no, hopefully no. we're not there yet no, 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 yeah. <laughs> wait what is under this rock <laughs> but but no you you have to have some fortitude about the about the yeah. about the things you know and yeah. and you need and we need to be telling the truth about it you know so when yeah. you find somebody who's telling the truth you got to support them and yeah. and not freak out yeah. and back them up if somebody tries to cancel them yeah, you know, and you you have that quality of a John the Baptist that you're gonna say this truth. You know, you're gonna speak truth to power, call out Herod for his <laughs> bad marriage or whatever. What gives you that? What what keeps you motivated? I know you get a PhD in economics, right? But that didn't do it. <laughs> you taught it, yeah. That but didn't it, do it. Shows it. Like, <laughs> that has nothing to do with it. <laughs> it, taught, it shows hard work. Well, yeah, I'll give you there. that. <laughs> <laughs> well, honestly, honestly, besides the sacraments, mm -hmm. you know, a big factor is my husband. Hmm. You know, my husband's an engineer, mm -hmm. um, not an economist, not a social, you know. But, but he's very conservative. He's a deeply honest man. Mm -hmm. He's not a Catholic. Um, but he believes 100% in what I'm doing. Right. And because of him, and well, and because of our kids, I gave up academic life. Right. In 1996, I left right. university life. If I was still in university, there's no way I'd be doing this. Right. I mean, literally, no way. Yeah. You know. So the fact that he has supported me, continues to support me. I sometimes tell me, the only person I have to please is my husband. Mm. I really don't care what anybody else thinks. <laughs> if he's mad, then that's a whole problem. That's a whole different kind of problem, you know. But 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 really that's really important. Mm. For me, that's really important. If it wasn't if it were, if it weren't for him, I don't I don't I don't know what I'd be doing, you know? Mm. Because in academic life, you're under all sorts of pressures to conform. Right. I don't have any of that. I have to worry right. about that. Right. You know? Let me ask you one more question. One, just one more question. <laughs> yeah, what would you what would you tell a young woman wants to get married, but like what you mentioned earlier, they might be full board career and all this and putting it off. 
How should she navigate that? How should she think about that? Does she have a guy in mind already? I mean, there's decision trees all the way along. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So I, what I would say to her, and as a matter of fact, it's funny you ask me this, because when I started the Ruth Institute in 2008, this is what I thought I was going to talk about. I didn't mean to get involved in gay stuff. <laughs> you know, that just kind of <laughs> right, happened because right. Prop 8 landed in my lap yeah. in San Diego in 2008. Mm -hmm. but, but anyway, what I would say to her is if you want to get married and have a family, you need to make that a priority. Mm -hmm. you, you need to have that in your mind. You, you need to let go of the attitude of, I'm not going to do anything about that whatsoever until, you know, you got to get mm -hmm. that out of your mind mm -hmm. and make it a priority that you're going to meet people and you're going to, you know, be put yourself in a position where you can you know, right. possibly meet right. people and stuff right. like that. And then once you are married, you know, you got to go for it. Yeah. I mean, the fact is your fertility will not be there forever. Right. That's a fact. Right. And many women have learned to their sorrow that they put yeah. it off too long. Right. Um, and there are statistics to this effect that, yeah. that the, the average woman across the West, across the West, if you ask them, how many children do you want to have? And then you ask them when they're 40, how many children did you end up with? They never have as many children as they wanted. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a widespread tragedy that no one talks about, in right. my opinion. Right. So I would tell you, go for it. Yeah. Let her rip. You yeah. know, right. put put your husband first. Put your yeah. husband first, and then the kids. Yeah. Okay. You got you, you can't neglect your husband. Right. I end up telling girls that all the time. Yeah. You know, yeah. because when the babies come, yeah. you coo yeah. over the babies, and your husband's <laughs> over there. Well, what about me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where do you think that baby came from, girl? <laughs> but but no, it's it's an easy that's an easy mistake to make. Right. You know, right. it's an innocent right. mistake in a way, right. but, but but you need to be um, conscious of it. Yeah. And and um, and not neglect your love for your husband. And you do hear that heartache from women that didn't go oh, for it. And... It's awful. Yeah, it's awful. Don't you think? Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. It... I just wonder, like, your boots on the ground, and you. I mean, I hear it. I guess in confessional work and stuff. But I imagine at your conferences, I'd like to, yeah, hear what their perspectives are. Because you know, one thing I just come back to at the end of the day, if you have like a family, I mean the. The, the parents are willing to sacrifice their career if it has to be for their, you know, the kids are like first there, you know? Right. It's, like, it's not like the job is more important than the kids, right? Right. And it, it's like, for some reason, we, people, I don't know, they can't see that in the beginning that, I don't know, just the value of kids and what a comfort it is, especially later in life, yeah. you know, yeah. have yeah. family. Um, well, that's why the the attack on the family is. I, I, it's not a, It's not hyperbole to call it demonic, mm -hmm. because the human person is meant for love. <clears throat> this is where. This is who we. That's our real identity, mm -hmm. right? Is to love and be loved. Yeah. That's what everyone yeah. really wants. Right. And so, when the evil one can make that unattractive, or right. scare us, or freak us out, yeah. or make it th make us think there's something more important than that, you know. Right. He, he's he's doing very well. Yeah. For himself with that, you know that that game's working for him. Yeah, yeah, we're made for love. Marriage and family is like the primary locus there. That's of, right. Of loving and being loved, and I say too. I I think for the woman, it's like her gifts and talents really come out. Oh, raising kids and stuff. I mean, when people talk about their mothers and stuff, it's just like I think Cardinal Mazzenti, this tough guy who was tortured, you know, in Hungary in the fifties and stuff. He would speak about his mother in such terms. They were so beautiful. 
And I remember him saying sometimes that as you get older, it's like it's even more of a, a mystery. And you rejoice, you marvel at it. I think that's the word. He said you marvel even more the older you get about motherhood, you know, the connection they have with children, what they do and mm -hmm. stuff. And uh, mm -hmm. so I, I think the sexual revolutions, you know, trying to tell women to be like men and oftentimes like men in a fallen way. Even. Right, <laughs> like, right. Men at their worst. Yeah, <laughs> men at their worst. You, your gift package, you want it to thrive and blossom. I mean, yes, you could do all kinds of fields of work and use stuff there, but it's like, especially the family. Yeah. You know, you're just irreplaceable. Yeah, yeah. Well, this has been a fun conversation, yeah, Father yeah. Mark. I had no idea when you dragooned me after mass what we were going to end up talking about. <laughs> I didn't either. So. <laughs> well, let me let me just tell your listeners. You know, if you're interested in what I've been talking about, just come on over and find us at ruthinstitute.org, and we've got you can the the report that we talked about the five uh, refuting the top five gay myths. You can get that just by downloading. You know you. It's it's a free download. You should be able to get it easily, and we have a very active YouTube channel and a podcast series. So you know you can you can hear a lot of what we have to say. And I interview a lot of very interesting people on my podcast. Right, right. Um, so thanks for having me. And I'll just say, as a preacher too, I've stolen some of your stuff. And Is that so? And stuff. So yeah, I sometimes preaching. Some, I can't think of one now, but I remember you'll say things in a way that's that's helped me articulate it. Oh, I'm glad. Know, so. I'm glad. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I'm glad. That's that's encouraging for me right. to know right. that, especially when the clergy are paying attention to what I'm doing, right. you know. Right. So thank you so much for joining. You're welcome.